Let's pray. Father, we, we gather this morning in an act of simple worship. And we ask that you cleanse us and purify our hearts as we come before you. And Father, we thank you for being our great commonality, for drawing so many different people together around your name. And we, we praise you this morning. And everything that we do, we, we offer as an act of worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you went on, on the uh, retreat this past weekend, and we had a little bit of time of sharing on Saturday night in prayer, a time where we came together as a community. And this morning, we're going to have a, just a couple words from Keith Courier, who is actually one of the people that shared during that time. And the uh, the way that God's worked in the past few days uh, in, in Keith's home church uh, in Washington has been unbelievable. So we want you to just hear a few words about this. To me, this is a, it's kind of a testimony of the power of prayer and the power of people coming together in the name of Christ and lifting up, um, in this case, two little boys. So we're going to invite Keith to come up and share just a little bit. Hello. Um, today I get the opportunity to tell you about how Jesus Christ affected two kids at my home church through the power of prayer in Washington at our church and then also at uh, Forest Home. It started uh, not last Saturday, but the Saturday before. Um, There's a boy named Larkin who was five years old, and he got an E. coli, and he, was, uh, he had to go to the hospital. Um, so the church got together and had a prayer service for him um, Sunday night. And they started praying, and 15 minutes into their prayer service, they got a call from the hospital from the mother and said, the kidney's working, because that was one of the things that failed. So they said, okay, well, let's keep on praying. Let's pray for the pancreas. So they kept on praying, and about a half an hour later, sure enough, she called again and said, the pancreas is working. So right there, even that in itself is an amazing testimony of how Jesus Christ just works through the power of prayer. But... After that week, um, Friday before I left for Forest Home, I talked to my mother and his younger sister, Larkin, who was three years old, she was in critical condition in the hospital for the same thing. And um, Lad, the five-year-old boy, he um, had not eaten or um, kept food down for over three weeks. Um, so they both were in pretty bad condition. and This was a burden on me. And Saturday night at Forest Home, we had the opportunity to share and I told the same story up to there and basically asked for prayer. And we prayed about 270 of us or so for the little boy and the little girl and for about 10 minutes at Forest Home. So Sunday I came home and called my parents and I said, how are they? Well, they said, first of all, um, Sunday morning Larkin ate food for the first time in over three weeks. Um, he ate... Um, a little yogurt, a little rice, and uh, a part of an English muffin and a Snapple. So, I mean, may seem menial, but that's awesome. And then second of all, Larkin, um, who was in critical condition Saturday night, um, Sunday morning had a blood transfusion. They both had quite a few blood transfusions to get them through. But um, Sunday morning, she had a blood transfusion. And um, this Tuesday, she left the hospital. So it far outstripped what any doctor expected to move from critical condition to leave. And then Larkin, the boy, he should leave in the next day or so. 
Um, the only prayer that's left is basically that they don't have to get another blood transfusion, um, Larkin. But it's just amazing to see how God worked, to see how he does answer prayer through communities and through us joining together. Um, just like Matthew 18:20, it says, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And he kind of proved that to me over the last few weeks to show the power of prayer and the power that we have in Jesus Christ. And when we give everything to him, even when things look horrible, I mean, if you imagine what the parents had to look, I mean, had to do, and their five-year-old and three-year-old kid were both in the hospital and were very likely to die. And when you lift things up to God, he'll answer your prayers. And I just thank God for that. Well, I appreciate the leadership of WCSA and Christian Concerns. Uh, for many years, uh, we had this chapel, and, and you would see a slideshow of the various programs that both organizations were part of, and it was informative, and it was good. But uh, frankly, I, I'll take this over that any day. To come in a voluntary fashion, uh, everybody on campus is getting credit for being here because I don't believe in giving chapel credit for communion which uh, uh, necessitates a decision for somebody to come. And uh, so you're all here by choice. You're all here completely by choice. And you're here because the leadership of Christian Concerns and WCSA feels that being in community is the way they want to give leadership to this student body for this coming year. And I can't think of a better way to do it. Uh, I never tell... The, uh, the, the organized student leadership, what I think they should do in chapel, but I'm really glad they chose this, and it was completely their choice. They came to me and said this is what they overwhelmingly wanted to do. I'd like to share very briefly, maybe four or five minutes here, about communion and about the need for community. You hear a lot about community, and it becomes sort of a, a term that really lacks meaning. But Jesus defined community as a place where people lay down their lives for each other. As a place where people lay down their lives for each other. That's not a boring concept. That's a very real concept. That doesn't just mean willingness to die for each other. That also means a willingness to live for each other. To live with each other. And there's a great mystery here as we come to communion. Because Jesus said, I'm the vine... And you're the branches. It's the person who shares my life and whose life I share that proves fruitful. For the plain fact is, apart from me, you can do nothing at all. Remain in me and I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. He was probably uh, uh, giving us an example of that the disciples had seen many, many times. I shouldn't say probably, clearly. There were vines all over Galilee. There were vines all over Judea where they grew grapes. And vines don't grow neatly. They don't, uh, the, you know, you don't have the vine here and then one branch goes here, two inches down, one branch goes here, two inches down, one branch. No, the, the, the branches intertwine and they grow all over and the leaves uh, wrap around one another and the fruit comes out and they, they cover the whole area so that you can barely see the vine and you can barely, if ever, distinguish which branch is giving which piece of fruit. But there are a couple key ingredients. If you take any one of those branches and you snip it off of the vine and take it over here and say, you know, I want, I want it to grow over here and you set it down, obviously it won't grow because it's not attached to the vine which goes down and is rooted and brings the nutrients up. 
But if you only have one branch, you have a vine, but you trim away everything but one branch, you're going to have a very scrawny yield that year. You might have some big grapes on that one branch, but it's going to be a very small yield. Jesus said, I'm the vine. My father's the gardener. He's the one who comes in and prunes back the branches in order that they'll yield more which teaches us that sometimes when God is going about pruning our lives, when there's pain, when there's tragedy, when there's a dryness spiritually, which is very often a form of his pruning, that that is meant to increase our yield. But the branches are close to one another as well. They're rooted in the vine, which is Jesus, but they grow together. And in that same chapter 15 of John, he says, you know, my great commandment is that you'll love each other the way I've loved you. That, that, that your lives will intertwine and you'll produce much fruit. A little later in that same conversation, which, by the way, took place on the Last Supper, the night of the Last Supper. So the, the twelve were gathered around a real meal, the Passover meal, when Jesus was saying all this stuff. And he said, I'm going to pray for you, my friends. And he prayed like this. He said, Father... I am praying that they might be one, that I might be in them, and they might, that as you are in me, that they might be in us, so that the world will know that you sent me. The prayer of Jesus Christ on the very last night of his earthly life was that the believers in him, those who had grafted themselves into him as the vine of their life, as the sole source of nutrients for their life, his prayer was that they would be one. One in the same spirit of purpose. One in the same self-sacrificial unity. One in trying to serve the world. One in giving love. One in giving forgiveness. One in speaking truth boldly and in love. His prayer was that we would be one. One grafted into him and one in our lives together. And the interesting thing is, he taught that that oneness would bring the world to the knowledge of who he was. That's very interesting. You know, if you look at most churches and most organizations, even wonderful evangelistic organizations, it would seem as though they would believe that by conducting programs, people would come to know Christ. But Jesus says, no, unity in me and unity of love with one another will give a witness for the reality of who I am that will far exceed anything you can do in a program. The programs should be the frosting on that cake. They should be the overflow, the cream that rises to the top, not the method itself. Oneness in Jesus Christ. If there's one thing the body of Jesus around the world lacks, it's unity. It's the one thing we're known not to have by those outside the church. They look at our pathetic divisions, and what do they say? You know what they say. They say, what what do these people have to offer? And so Jesus, understandably, on the night that he died, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And afterwards, he took the cup as well. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul tells us to examine our lives before we take these elements. Because we do several things when we take them. We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, what he did for us in the stable, 
what he did for us as he walked along the shores of Galilee, what he did for us in the resurrection, and we remember what he will do again for us when he returns. We remember. But it goes beyond that. He is present in the meal, in the Eucharist, in the communion. He's present, I believe, in a very unique way when we come together in a unified body to partake of this meal. It's a symbol, it's a remembrance, but it's the very real presence of Jesus Christ. So I can't think of a better way to start this school year than to come together and commune with Jesus Christ, with the Father, and and with the Holy Spirit. The whole idea of community is wrapped up in those three names, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, as we are one Father, I pray that they may be one. Our unity is supposed to be a reflection of the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the original community of faith, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our love for each other, our laying down of our lives, is supposed to be in that same order. This meal is for those who decide they want to follow Jesus Christ. It's very simple. It's not a meal for perfect people. Otherwise, no one would be here. It's a meal for broken, beat-up people with scars and wounds and guilt and dirt and grime and embarrassment and tragedy. It's for people like you and me. So you don't have to get your life together in order to come up and take this meal. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You come up as you are, with your brokenness, with your pain, with your fears, with your temptations, and you say to Jesus Christ, I want to live the life you want. I want to live with brothers and sisters. I want the unity that we have and experience. I'm presenting myself to you again, all that I am, which may not be very much, but it's all that I've got. And he says, come and eat of me, and I'll give you all that I am, completely, without reserve. But it is for people who make that decision. We have tables at the back today, and we're going to encourage you to take communion at those tables. They're all around the circumference here. And uh, various leaders from Christian Concerns and WCSA will be uh, giving out the elements. You'll just simply take a piece of the bread and tear it off and then dip it into the cup and then take the bread that then has the uh, grape juice on it and take that in. Take in Jesus Christ. The fact that we all come down commonly together is meant to be a symbol of our unity in Christ. So let's be quiet for just a moment, and then there's going to be music during our time of communion, and the people that are serving can go to the tables now as we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the simplicity of this meal, for the simplicity of this symbol. We thank you for your love and for the cost that this meal bore, that it was the cost of your blood and your body broken, your blood spilled on that cross, that you did not withhold even the drops of your own blood to demonstrate your love for us. And through that death, to purchase us back to your Father in heaven, to pay for the sins which we had no ability to pay for ourselves. And so we come to this table, Father. We're a bit embarrassed how we come to it. Our clothes are torn. Our dignity has been tarnished. Our promises have been broken. 
And we really do understand, at least at some level, that we don't deserve this. And that's why your love astounds us, that you offer it anyway. Let us be a people of astonished hearts. Make us people of astonished hearts and minds today as we give our lives to you, Jesus, so that we might live for your Father by the power of your Holy Spirit. In his name, amen. Lord, thank you for this hour that we have been given to remember you and to remember your son that you sent to die for our sins. Thank you for his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.